Shabbat Shalom, everyone. And Gemar Hatimatova, a good final inscription to you and to your loved ones. We learn in the Mishnah that we have a responsibility to judge everyone who comes across our path favorably. And what I have found is that every individual does an exceptional job at doing that. Meaning, they do an exceptional job at judging themselves favorably. How often I've heard people say, oh, I was only trying to help. I only said what I said out of concern. I'm not mean. You're way too sensitive. But when it comes to others, we're almost on the verge of eager to assume uh, unflattering motivations. I'm scrupulous. He's compulsive. I'm honest. She's brutal. I'm forgiving. He's weak. The ways that we interpret the same qualities from other people are much more of a multitude than the way that we do it within ourselves. We are much more understanding and forgiving and judge favorably upon ourselves and not others. I share that with you because on this Shabbat of Shabbat Shuva, it's a time for us to reflect, a time for us to pause and to think about the difference between could and should. The difference between could and should. When I mean could, I mean as in possible, allowed. And I want to give you an example that I learned from the Talmud. A difference between could and should, and how a lot of coulds in this world are changing the flavor of a world and how it should be. The example from the Talmud is the story of a woman who is walking about in the market. She has her head covered, and another man sees her from a distance. Assuming that the woman is Jewish and the woman is married because her head is covered with a scarf, he immediately surmises from a distance the very scarf that she's wearing. And him being in the Shmata business, he knows that the scarf that she's wearing is not permissible for her to wear because it is a mixture of shotness. It is a biblical prohibited mixture of wool and linen. And he knows this because he sells scarves. And he sees this woman walking about in the shuk, in the market. He is sure she's married. He is sure she's Jewish. And she's walking around with this forbidden mixture on his head. On her head, rather. So what does he do? He does what he thinks he could do. And he runs up to her in the middle of the market and he yanks the scarf right from her head, exposing her hair and embarrassing her. She was mortified. And what turned out to be something that was incredibly enlightening for the man that he learned later was that the woman wasn't Jewish. And she was just covering her hair because such was the style for others. So if you're not Jewish, the biblical prohibition of mixing wool and linen isn't applicable. In other words, she did nothing wrong. But the man felt that he had a responsibility, that he could do something to demonstrate not only his knowledge of the law, but to tell others they're doing the law wrong. So he yanked it from her hair and in essence mortified her, caused embarrassment to him, and didn't represent what the religion 
should be about. But if you asked him, I imagine he would say, I did it because I could do it. And he might even say, because I should do it, because someone was in transgression. So the question is, is doing a wrong okay in order to do a right? Meaning, are we allowed to cause someone shame because they're transgressing another sin? Why would that be permitted? We learn throughout the Talmud that things that are done through the means of a prohibited vehicle are not permitted to us. You can't steal a lulav in order to make the blessing over the lulav on Sukkot. It doesn't fulfill our responsibility. We can't steal a set of tefillin in order to use tefillin to daven with. It doesn't fulfill our responsibility. Better to daven without tefillin. So why would someone think it's okay to do this because they feel a compulsion? They feel a need to do what they want to do because they can, as opposed to what they should. I bring this up not only because of Shabbat Shuvah and our contemplation over coulds versus shoulds, but over a few things that are going on in the world today, three in particular, that are about coulds and shoulds. And I'd like to share them with you. One of them is in the Jewish world. One of them is in the Christian world. And one of them is in the world of Islam. The first one I'd like to start with is the one in the Christian world. Pastor Terry Jones in Gainesville, Florida, has decided that it is incumbent upon him to demonstrate the freedoms that are afforded to him in America through the freedom of expression, freedom of speech, to encourage others on this day, this holy day, this sacred memorial day, nine years ago when the greatest tragedy ever happened on American soil, to demonstrate what he could do, what he is allowed to do, what is permissible for him to do, by gathering people together, attracting a tremendous amount of media attention, and burning Qurans. Now I know in the papers there's been a lot of back and forth in the last 48 hours about whether he's called it off or hasn't called it off or might call it off and he felt lied to and all these other things that are going on. But it doesn't take away the point that what he wants to do, he wants to do because he thinks he can do it. And if you ask Terry Jones, he said in every major newspaper, I'm doing this because others are burning American flags, others are dancing, chanting death to Americans. I want to prove what I'm allowed to do in my country if they're allowed to do it in their country. Now, I can't stand at this beam for a minute and tell you what Terry Jones is doing is illegal. Because I don't think it is. I don't know about the intricacies of the laws of Gainesville and what you're allowed to do with fire. But I can stand here at this beam and tell you that what he's doing is immoral and what he's doing is insightful. Now, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And it doesn't mean that there aren't repercussions to come from that, whether that means repercussions that come at the expense of our troops who are defending our country here and abroad, or whether that means repercussions that come as a result of how we interact with other people. It was said that a place where they once burned books, they will soon burn people. I wonder if Pastor Jerry, Terry Jones ever read that quote, ever learned it. Anyone else know where they used to burn books? You got it. That's exactly right. About 1933 to 1938. And you all know what happened on September 1st, 1939. So the burning of books on American soil, of religious books, is a very frightening thought. I'm reminded of that powerful scene in the movie Footloose where 
the pastor kind of gets out of control with how much he is leading the congregation by. And he sees that he's called in the middle of one of these socials with the sisterhood to run to the church where he's caused people to be such zealots that they're actually burning books. And it was this moment where you could see the reflection of the pastor in the flames and he's looking at himself and he's saying, what have I done? What have I made out of these people? And that's where he's able to pause and to stop. And while I understand his right for freedom of speech and his right for freedom of expression, is it permissible? Is it allowable? Well, there's another question in the Islamic world going on about permissibility and could and should. And it has to do with a mosque that's being built near Ground Zero. Now, I don't have an official opinion on the matter because, one, I'm not a Muslim, and two, I don't plan on praying there, and thank God, three, I didn't have a loved one, a next of kin, a relative, a dear one to me, who was lost in 9-11. That doesn't mean that I'm insensitive to those that did. I'm just telling you it doesn't strike the nerve for me that it can absolutely could for others. But the question is not whether or not this person can, could, this organization, this religious body build it there. The question is, should we? Should it happen there? The question is, are the goals still met? Can we still have religious plurality? Can we still have celebration? Can we still have the multicultural center and the memorial center if the same, same mosque with the same leadership and the same money is built eight blocks away? Could it happen? Could it take away some of the pain and sensitivity for others? Is it another question of could versus should? Is it another way of what the mission was telling us from the get-go of how we judge ourselves versus how we judge others? Are we looking at this from our eyes or are we taking a moment to see it from other people's eyes? From those that survived and those that have lost loved ones? That's the question that we're being asked. Not whether we can do it, whether we should do it. Not whether it's permissible, but whether it's right. And dare I say, whether it's moral. I don't have a definitive decision on either of those questions. Those are the questions I think the leadership on both of these cases, the case of Terry Jones and the case of the Imam Ralph and the mosque, the Park 51 Project, should be asking themselves. Not a matter of could, but a matter of should. The last example I want to give you is a twofold example. And it comes from the Jewish world. And they both come from Israel. The first is a case of an ultra-Orthodox singer who made the mistake, and I say the word mistake, as you'll understand in a moment, of singing before a crowd of men and women, which is not permissible by his Orthodox leadership. As a result, before the high holiday period, he was called in front of a Beitin, in front of a rabbinic court, and they sentenced him to a punishment that is rarely ever given since the time of the Mishnah. The man was flogged. He was beaten against a tree after yelling out a decree of his wrongdoing for singing to a group of men and women together for fear, for fear that the singing could lead to mixed dancing. I wasn't there, but for reporters who were, they say that if it weren't for the cell phone going off, no one would be able to tell that it was 2010 because it felt archaic. I'm going to give you one other example while that one sits in your, uh, in your register for a moment. 
The other example is from the former chief Sephardic rabbi of Israel by the name of Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, who on the eve of the peace talks with the Palestinians, whether we believe that they have merit, whether, whether we believe they'll bring fruit or not, is up to us to decide. He says as a leader on behalf of the rabbinic community and the Jewish Spartac community in Israel, that the Palestinians are a plague and we have a responsibility to eradicate that plague and we wish upon Abu Mazen, Hamas, Abbas, all of its leadership in the Palestinian Authority, a swift death. Those are his words, not mine. I would never say those words. It erupted into a big firestorm in Israel. The State Department actually got involved condemning his remarks. The Obama administration were very embarrassed by his remarks, as were Netanyahu. So why do I give you this example? Israel's a democracy. Israel shares many of the same values and tenets of this very country. So the idea of having the freedom to speak and believe what you want is celebrated in Israel. That's why Jews in America and Jews in Israel get along so famously, if you will, and feel so comfortable, because we celebrate those same commonalities that make us so unique and individual and appreciative of those gifts. We go to Israel. We know there are people who are religious, people who aren't religious. Some drive on Shabbos, some don't drive on Shabbos. Some only eat a kosher restaurant, some don't eat a kosher restaurant. That is their choice. And the beauty is that we have that choice. So there's no question as to whether Rabbi Ovadia Yosef had the choice to say those words or not. There's no question or not whether this rabbinic court to which this singer had the opportunity to subscribe himself to could do so. No one's questioning it. The question is, should it happen? And what I'm asking is twofold. One, are we asking questions of ourselves that are encouraging us to look from the other's perspectives? And two, are we realizing the weight of the decisions that we make and the impact they're making on other people's lives, or are we only thinking about our own lives? So when it comes to the issue of whether or not we should be flogged, are we only thinking about those that were involved who could have erupted into mixed dancing, or are we thinking about the entire Jewish community and how they're going to react? When Obadi Yosef says his remarks, is he only saying it because he really hopes there'll be peace in Israel and no one will die? Or does he say it because he really wishes death upon these people and he wants everyone to hear it? And he doesn't realize the weight of his words. Does Terry Jones want to burn a Koran because he wants to express that freedom? Or does he want to burn a Koran because he wants to incite some kind of rioting going on in America where we investigate any Islamic person and already put them under the, the gel, under the shade, under the veneer of being bad, wrong, immoral, and terrorist? And do we want to build a mosque in the face of 9-11 to be absolutely insensitive to those who are pained by it, realizing that the goals could be achieved eight or ten blocks away, just the same, without any of sensitivities being stoked? In every single one of these cases, we are looking at it through the lens of seeing ourselves and what we see and not seeing the other. And if there ever was a holiday and if there ever was a time that we are supposed to put the brakes on and see it from another perspective, this is it. It is these ten days during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that tells us what the Torah tells us, what we're going to read in the parasha and Vayikra on Yom Kippur, you have to love your other as you love yourself. And you don't do to your other what you wouldn't want done unto you. And I'm not saying that those who burn flags are right and this is a way to stop them. We're fighting fire with fire. I'm not, I'm not suggesting any of these things. I'm suggesting we all pause for a moment and ask the question of what we could do and what we should do. 
because there is a marked difference between what is permissible and what is right. And we have to understand that the choices that others make and the choices that we make too have a weight. And the way that we make the best choices is when we're able to see in the reflection of those flames what it is that we look like. How much shame it might bring us. How much pain it might bring others. What a difference it could bring to a world. It's not about what's permissible and what's not permissible. It's about what's right versus what's wrong. Did the man have the right in the Shuk in the time of the Talmud to rip the scarf off the woman's head? Perhaps. I don't know what the laws were of battery and touching at that time, but I imagine he had the right to do so. But it was absolutely wrong to do so. Because in trying to keep her from transgressing a certain commandment, he himself transgressed the commandment. Is that the ultimate goal? Is that what we're after? When the Mishnah tells us that we should judge everyone favorably, there's only one way to get there. And it's that line that we learned in the book To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's Atticus Finch who offers it to us. And he tells his kids, don't judge another person until you've walked in their moccasins. To judge people favorably like the Mishnah tells us is to see it from their perspective. To understand their sensitivities, to hear and feel their pain and their thoughts, to appreciate that as if you too were going through it. That's the essence of what Hillel said was the core of the Torah. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't do unto others as you would not want done upon you. It doesn't only apply to pastors, the imams, the chief Sephardic rabbis, and the rabbinic courts in Israel. It applies to us just the same. It applies to how we interact with our kids, how we talk to our spouses, how we treat our teachers, how we behave on the street, how we behave when we're at a cafe, how we behave when we talk to people on the phone that we know and that we don't know. Our words, our thoughts have actions. And if we all were able to pause for a moment and to judge people favorably, to see them favorably, it would make a marked difference in the way that we appreciate this new year. My bracha for all of us is that as we enter these 10 days of reflection, reflection, contemplation, thought, and renewal, that we're able to take the words of the Mishnah of judging everyone favorably and really beginning to see our neighbor and treat them as we would want to be treated. To really wrestle with the thought of what we could do versus what we should do. Shabbat Shalom and Gemar Chatimah Page 155, the Chazan continues with the Chatzikadosh.